It's cold out. Anybody noticed? It is cold out. When did we move to Minnesota? Whew. Yeah, these aren't temperatures. You know, when it's, when it's 12, that's not a temperature. I don't... Anyway, it's good that we're here, and uh, if you're here in the room, it's nice and toasty in here. If you're uh, watching us online, hopefully wherever you are is warm as well. So a few years ago, I witnessed an epic battle. I mean, this was a battle for the ages. It took place in a grocery store in a line at the checkout. The combatants were a 30-something-year-old woman and a four- or five-year-old child. And the center of the conflict was a bag of Skittles. So you can picture the scene, right? Waiting in line, this mom with her basket heaping with groceries, and I'm sure her mind heaping with to-do lists that had to get done, and the child spots the Skittles and says, Mommy, can I have a bag of Skittles? And mom says, not today, honey. And the child says, but mommy, I want a bag of Skittles. Well, honey, when we get home, I'll give you a snack. Well, it begins to escalate from there. You've seen these kinds of things. You may have experienced this as a parent. And it escalates very, very quickly. And now the child is in full-blown tantrum over this bag of Skittles. And you can just... The mom just wants to be swallowed up by the earth, right? She just wants to be out of this line and get this kid home and so forth. And this battle goes on through the line and out into the parking lot. Now, to deconstruct what took place here, first, we need to understand the perspective of this four or five-year-old child, this little boy. From his perspective, Skittles are good. Mom has the power to give me Skittles. Mom is cruel, not giving me this bag of Skittles. In a child's mind, there are two time frames. There's now and there's never. Mom has just told me I will never have Skittles. How cruel, right? That's the child's mindset. The mom, her mindset is, Skittles aren't really that good for you. And the last thing I want to do right now is fill this child with sugar. Right? And then as it begins to escalate, I'm sure what mom is beginning to think is, yeah, you're not going to win this conflict. Right? You're not, you're not going to, you're not going to get past me on this. I'm going to teach two important life lessons right now. And I'm sure this is going really fast. First life lesson, you don't get everything that you want when you want it. And second life lesson is bad behavior does not result, does not have a good result, right? That's what's going on in this conflict. 
For those of you who have children of that age, you know exactly what it feels like. If you raise children, you know, for those parents who have the little ones, that it's just getting started. That Skittles will become homework and curfew and use of the car, and the list goes on and on and on through the years. Now, ultimately, maturity means that we grow in our understanding that our parents made decisions for our benefit. That our parents wanted the best for us long-term, not just in the moment. Now, I want to quickly add here that for some of you, that may not necessarily be true. That some of you may have grown up in a household with parents who were profoundly selfish. And that the decisions they made were about themselves and not about their children. And for you, if that is the kind of household you grew up in, maturity means having clarity about what happened in that house as you grew up and the impact that it had on you. And finding forgiveness, letting go of the pain and the hurt that that caused you. I know a lot of people who grew up in households like that, who have matured to the point where they enter into healthy relationships and create healthy families. Maturity, right? It's this growing up, it's this growing in understanding and wisdom and perspective. Spiritual maturity has to do with understanding that God has our best in mind. And that God's perspective transcends our own. Spiritual maturity looks like that. God has our best in mind, and his perspective transcends our own. To state it another way, when we face hardships and challenges and suffering, we can choose to either blame God and reject God, or we can choose to trust God and to look to him for strength and guidance and comfort. We get to make those choices. And our spiritual maturity will inform those choices that we make. Last winter, it was about this time that a group of guys joined me in a study of the book of Job. God bless these guys. They were studs, man. The, the fact that we went 10 weeks in the dead of winter in the book of Job, it was, you know, a little rough, but it was really helpful. It had been a long time since I just read the entire book of Job. And the book of Job, the story of Job, is a story of calamity that befalls this righteous man. A whole lot of bad things happen to this guy. In fact, everything that he valued, everything important to him, was taken away from him in very short order. His wife 
said that he should blame and reject God. And she was wrong, and he didn't do that. His friends said that he was to blame, that he had somehow done something that had so ticked God off that he needed to confess it, to come clean, and to ask God to forgive him. And they were wrong. What Job decided to do, what Job did in the midst of that calamity that was his life, was to say these words. Though he slay me, still I will hope in him. Though he slay me, still I will hope in him. The circumstances of Job's life made no sense. He was devastated. And yet, in the midst of that, he refused to blame God, and he refused to accept easy answers and platitudes. But what he did was he chose to trust God in the midst of the hardships and the suffering that he was experiencing. The thing about it is, and, and I know the temptations, when things get really hard, when life feels it's most chaotic, and God seems silent or distant, it's natural for us to become frustrated and maybe angry and consider just rejecting God. How could God allow this? How could God permit this? I get it. I've been there. But to reject God simply means that now I'm on my own. It's all on me. There is no source, there's no power, there's no guidance, and there is no meaning. If there is no God, then, then our suffering, our hardships, are meaningless. And really, we live by a philosophy that says life is hard, and then you die. Right? That's it. In the Bible, we have a very different perspective on suffering. One that is helpful in the moment and hopeful for the future. It's helpful in the moment and hopeful in the future. See, hope always starts with who God is for our focus and our perspective. It always starts with who God is. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a short series, a two-week series. So two weeks from now, a two-week series on the names of God, some of the names of God that we see in Scripture and what those things tell us about the character of God. So make sure you're tuning in here for um, that series. I'm really looking forward to that. But two things that we can say this morning about who God is. God is holy and God is good. God is holy and God is good. By holy... What that means is that God is pure 
sacred, worthy of our praise. God is wholly separate from all else. And anything connected to God bears God's holiness. That's why we talk about the Holy Bible. We talk about Holy Communion. It's associated with God, and God's holiness emanates out on all things that God touches. He is pure, sacred, worthy of our praise. And God is good. God is good. That's not just a platitude. You know, God is good all the time and all the time. It's been a while since we've done that one. Some of you forgot. Never heard it. God is good. And all the time, it sounds good, right? But it's true. It means that God is righteous. God's ways are right, correct. So God is holy and God is good. And God's perspective is holy and good. God's ways, God's perspective are holy and good. That doesn't mean we always understand them. In the book of Isaiah, this point is made by God himself in the 55th chapter of the book of Isaiah, verse 8. Listen to what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a reminder to us, friends, that God's purposes and God's perspective are rooted in eternity, not modernity. God's perspective and his purposes are rooted in eternity, not just the moment. God knows the whole story, and we see Skittles, right? God's perspective is so vastly beyond ours. We see things through a telescope out in the heavens. God created the heavens. This truth doesn't make hardships easier to bear. But it does put them into perspective. Friends, God is at work around you and in you and through you. And circumstances, no matter how hard those circumstances may be, how difficult the circumstances that you're uh, dealing with may be, God is still at work around you and in you and through you as you put your trust and your hope in him. The Apostle Paul certainly got this, and he, he talked about it, he wrote about it in his second letter to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, around verse 7, Paul wrote that 
We have the eternal light of God in the person of Jesus, the resurrected one, living in us. Think about that. We have the eternal light of the creator God that came in the form and the person of Jesus. And through his death and resurrection and through our faith in him, that light of Christ lives in you. And then Paul goes on and says, he lives, this light lives in these jars of clay. These earthly bodies that we have. This perfect eternal light lives in these imperfect, failing, flawed containers. Our bodies. God lives in you. And he's working out his purposes in you. And God did this in order to show the world that the things that we do as his representatives, we do not through our own power, but through this light, through this power of Jesus. And then Paul goes on and he describes the circumstances that he and his fellow Christ followers are dealing with in their lives. And so he says things like this. He said that, that we're pressed on every side by troubles. This, don't put the scripture up yet. We're pressed on every side. I know you're jumping ahead of me. I'm sorry, we didn't practice this. <laughs> you know, first service, practice round. <laughs> All right, just threw you guys a curve. But so the, back to what he said. This is what he said. He said that their circumstances, they're pressed on every side by troubles. They're perplexed. They're hunted. They're knocked down. That's the reality that they're living in, Right? Pressed by troubles, knocked down, hunted. Life brings hardships. Life brings hardships to all of us. Natural disasters, disease, poor decisions, abusive people. Life brings hardships to us all. As one commentator I read said, life humbles everybody. Life humbles everybody. But when our trust is in the one who created us, who has a purpose and a plan that transcends our circumstances, we have a strength and a confidence that we need to endure. That's the reality of our faith. And all of these hardships that are happening to them and to us, even though we walk in faith, it's not fair, is it? It's not fair. Doing God's work and yet facing all of these hardships. I mean, think about what Paul and his his. And, uh, and Christ's followers are doing. They're bringing good news into the world. They're bringing a hopeful message into the world. They're serving people 
out of a deep faith in Christ and a desire to bless others. That's what they're doing. And what are they getting in return? Hardships. Trouble on every side. Attacked, knocked down, hunted. Now I want to read. This is your cue. Now I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8, to hear the whole story. This is what Paul writes. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Did you catch the cadence of that? Everything before the word but are the circumstances of their lives. And they're not good. And then he says, but. And then he talks about their faith and their hope. Life is hard, but God is good. Life isn't fair, but God is at work. In our own power, we can't, but with God, we can. That's the perspective. They had hope that life, not that life would be fair. They didn't have, their hope was not that life would be fair, because it wasn't. Their hope was in God that was accomplishing something in them and through them that was going to be good and meaningful and eternal for them and for everybody that they touched. So last week, if you were a part of our worship service, you heard me ask the questions on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put yourself in terms of anxiety? One being, I'm not really very anxious at all. Ten being, I'm barely holding on. Where did you place yourself? Today, I want to ask, on a scale of one to ten, what is your level of hope? On a scale of one to ten, what is your level of hope? Are you looking at the future with dread and anxiety, anxious feelings? Or are you looking to the future with eager expectations, seeing God out in front of you? Through our faith in Christ, the light of the Eternal One living in us, in these jars of clay, we know that there are no circumstances that can defeat us. Whatever you're going through, no matter how challenging it may be, how disappointing, how discouraging, how hard it may be, and even if you have been tempted 
to reject God out of anger and frustration and disappointment. I want to encourage you this morning to hold on to hope because hope in Christ will never disappoint you. God is with you and God is for you. Hey, let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Lord, I'm reminded of a, the words of a song. It says, we believe in God and we all need Jesus. But life is hard and it might not get easier. Lord, that's the reality in which we find ourselves. The circumstances of our lives may be really difficult, just as they were for Paul and all who followed you back in that first century church. But, but, you are holy. You are good. You have a purpose, God, and a plan for our lives that no circumstance can frustrate that no hardship can destroy. And so, Lord, we again this morning affirm our commitment to you, our trust in your holiness and your goodness. We find our hope in you. And for that, Lord, we are eternally grateful and offer ourselves anew to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May your eternal light shine in us, giving us the courage and the wisdom and the comfort that we need in the days ahead. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks and the praise always and in all ways. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. amen. Hey, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you this day and always. Amen.